welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are starting a new series on our podcast, watching through the magicians and having an episode discussing each episode of the show. So yes, this is not on the books. We have read the books, but this will be based on the show. And if you've read the books and watched the show, you'll know that they differ quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to have read the books to join in this watch through with us. We'll probably every so often bring in something that we think is maybe an interesting thing to discuss. In comparison with the books? In comparison, but... In general, so much of the plots and even characters and stuff go in wildly different directions that uh, we're not going to be doing that every week, but just as is applicable and they're not going to be like, ah, major spoilers, I can't read the books, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But before we get into the episode, we wanted to just introduce ourselves if you are new to the podcast. We've been doing this podcast for almost five years now. Yeah, it's been a while. Which is weird to say. <laughs> <laughs> but if you just found us, welcome. Hi. <laughs> so yeah, why don't we both uh, introduce a little bit about ourselves. Chris, you go first. Sure. So yeah, I'm Chris. I use he, him pronouns. I am certainly a geek. Um, <laughs> certainly. So I love doing this podcast and talking about all sorts of these geeky properties. I'm also a historian and an educator. Uh, I work teaching community college students here in the LA area where we're both located. I'm from this area. And yeah, I just, uh, I, I really love thinking through things probably more deeply than they have reason to be th thought through. Um, and discussing Never. with like-minded people. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? So I am Brittany. I probably prefer they, them pronouns. Yeah, I don't have any problem with she, her pronouns as long as people aren't putting me into a group with ladies, women, ma'am, miss, that sort of stuff. For some of our longtime listeners might be kind of a new thing that they didn't know because mm -hmm. that's kind of been a process that I've been thinking through over the years. So, yes, this is me. Hi. And I have a history background as well for undergrad. I also, oddly enough, have a biblical studies and theology background. I say oddly enough, because if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that both of us are very progressive and very, uh, well, yeah, I'm just saying they, them, so we <laughs> get a little clued in, and also suffer with chronic fatigue and pain, and so um, I'm coming things from a queer, disabled half Japanese, half white American lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's us. We hope that you enjoy our take on this series and the fun conversations that we'll have as we go through. If you participated in our Hunger Games read-through with us, we will be bringing back some of the same sections from that, but not all of them and some new ones. So 
we'll just kind of explain a little bit about what we'll be doing. Instead of our striking moments, the corny Chris was like, let's call them magic moments. And we couldn't think of a better name than that. (laughs) Well, at first I was like, well, striking moments could also incorporate the less happy sort Mm -hmm. of things that just don't seem magical. But throughout this series, you will learn that magic is not always just this positive, happy thing. Yeah. So it actually kind of works for any moment that or moments that are particularly standing out to us that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then we're also going to have a section called Setting and Society. This is going to incorporate sometimes when it's applicable things like touch points where we draw some parallels between things that are in the show and things in our own lives or worlds and society. But also it can incorporate things that are just about the setting, the world building, what's going on in Breakville School, what's going on in these different locations or or communities. Mm-hmm. And then we're also going to be talking about themes and schemes, bringing back a little bit of our original show format where we thought about a theme each week in, in several of our favorite geeky properties, but this time we'll be thinking about themes, but also some of the plot things, the schemes that are going on. Then our last formal section is going to be from another point of view that we are bringing in from... Back by popular demand. (laughs) Exactly. From our Hunger Games podcast, where instead of the POV of Katniss, that is first person, present tense, we were thinking about some other characters' POVs and trying to empathize and really think through what they could be experiencing. And so we're going to do the same thing since it's not, you know, we're not in any character's head per se. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that even may be some of the main, main characters, but this show has quite a large cast of characters. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to sit with some of their perspectives in particular. Yeah. So before we go into those, I will say that before we were like, yeah, we're going to go watch The Magicians and it's it's going to be more lighthearted than The Hunger Games and fun <laughs> and brighter. And <laughs> with this first episode, you might be like, whoa, this seems dark. Did someone just die at the end? Uh, <laughs> or multiple someones? So... Yes, there are dark things that happen in this show, but it is not all that way. And I think the longer we get into the show, the more ridiculous things they have. Yeah. Uh, And they even will start having musical episodes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, I would say the the last three seasons are my favorite. Mm. I mean, there's things to enjoy in all of it, but uh, they really start having a little bit more leeway with the plot and just whatever they want to do. And yeah. So uh, if you're not sold on any of the characters from the pilot, do not fret. I was not either. Neither was Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the end, it's just like they've layered and layered the characters and... Yeah, I I really like almost all of them, 
even the very side ones. There's even one character that they don't even reveal some of their backstory until like the last half of the last season. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it is definitely a character development long haul sort of series. Yeah, but yeah, if if you're a long time listener, you you probably know the extent to which we think about and engage with the properties that we we are passionate about. And so the fact that we are going into this show is really based off of our love for where the show goes and the ways that it explores its characters and its setting and its themes. And so we are very excited to to get into these discussions and to hopefully share our excitement about this show with you, whether you're a longtime listener or the, whether you're someone coming along just for this season. Absolutely. With that, why don't we go into a recap of what happened in this episode, Chris? We begin with two magicians who meet on a New York park bench and discuss the need to educate a group of students. We then meet the depressive Quentin and his best friend Julia, who are both invited to a secretive test of their magical skills. Quentin passes and is accepted to Breakbill's University of Magic, but Julia fails the test, and they attempt to wipe her memory about Breakbill's so she cuts herself as a clue to remember later on. While Quentin begins acclimating to life at Magic College, meeting upperclassmen friends Elliot and Margot, Julia spirals as she struggles to teach herself some basic magic. After Quentin tells Julia that she needs to accept that she can't be a magician, a sketchy dude named Pete (laughs) offers to teach her and takes her to a sketchy warehouse. In his dreams, Quentin meets Jane Chatwin from the Fillory and Further novels, which he loves and Jane warns him about the beast and leaves him with a sigil burned into his hand. Quentin's capable classmate Alice recognizes the sigil and sees it as an opportunity to learn how her brother died at Breakbills. After Quentin's psychic roommate Penny hears a voice telling him to assist them, he and Katie help Quentin and Alice try to contact Alice's dead brother. Instead, they accidentally summon the beast, who appears in the school the next day, freezing their entire class and attacking a teacher and Dean Fogg. And I talk about a cliffhanger start. Right. Well, why don't we go into our first section, which is magic moments. What do you find magical, Chris? Well, I want to talk a little bit about Quentin as our protagonist in many ways. Certainly in the books and here, I think that we have much more of an ensemble cast. He's still put forward in very, very many ways as a protagonist. But it is, I think, a testament to him as a unique character that we first meet him in a mental health institute and we're introduced to him as someone who is depressed and is isolated from people but not just isolated in a way that puts him as a victim because we also see how when he engages with other people he can be entitled and standoffish and how he we later learn is not someone who commits to change, to changing his behaviors or to changing his his surroundings in ways. And so I think that he's an interesting character because he highlights some elements of depression while also still being a complicated character who's not just someone who are entirely meant to sympathize with because he's sad. But instead, he has, yeah, more complexities there. He has his own character flaws, his own self-pity, but also inability or non-committal to changing things to address his depression. And I think that that's a really unique thing about his character, and especially his character as a kind of core protagonist for a story like this. 
the show really does just right off the bat introduce those elements of his character right in the first episode. Yeah, which I think is really interesting. Like, uh, it's starring, or at least that's how it's set up, right? Mm -hmm. That it's starring this character that you first see in a mental health clinic. Yeah, it's it's very unique, I think. But I I would probably push back a little bit for Quentin in the show. I think he is more willing to try to change things than Quentin in the books because we see that he's actually on medications, right? And that mm-hmm. he's starting a new one, so it seems like he's been on other ones in the past and things and so sometimes it can just be really difficult to find something that actually works well for your brain. So I I think at least the fact that he would have voluntarily gone to this place because he didn't want to hurt himself, that he's willing to try this new medication, like, I think he is at least trying. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just trying to say that he's he has some complexities there because we see, for example, Julia get frustrated with him because mm-hmm. he says that he's going to grow out of his Fillory fandom, but she sees him still take any opportunity he can to dive deeper into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, I think that he's a uh, an interesting character for sure. Yeah. I also really appreciate the body language the character has. I really noticed in this episode how he can sometimes communicate a lot through his body language. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, near the end, after they do the spell and they don't think anything's happening, and he's kind of just crouched near Alice and is kind of shuffling around as if he wants to be doing something, isn't sure what to do with his hands or how to do things and he says like I guess I'll clean up and he just really really communicated the kind of awkwardness there the lack of confidence in himself and kind of a person who struggles with social situations without having to actually have exposition that explains all of that it just was kind of shown through that body language yeah i think he the actor does a great job with having very particular mannerisms mm-hmm. that he continually utilizes mm-hmm. yeah. yeah another magical moment i wanted to talk about though was the scene with the beast mm. in the classroom not only do i think that it's striking and, and certainly a, a great end to the first episode of the show but i was noticing in this watch through some of the kinds of cinematic aspects of how it's shot and framed and mm. how for example the music had this kind of really basic beat in the background, but then almost like industrial sounds that would come in, really highlighting how this is a breach of the kind of magical world that Break Bills was billing itself as. Mm. But that this it is... was billing itself as? Exactly. Uh, this is a break of that billing. Uh, really getting the new, the new listeners in. Uh, <laughs> no, that this was a in many ways, a ripping apart of the dreams of what a magical school could be, but that there is danger here. Yeah, the way that it was shot, and in particular the, the sound design of that scene, I thought was just a uh, a really, really effective way of communicating those things. 
Yeah, and a villain with those swarming moths mm-hmm. is just such a cool visual that, yeah, it does seem very unique. Yeah. You just think of, like, oh, moths, whatever, like, they can be really pretty and fun and whimsical, but then when you actually see them around this face, it does feel more ominous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? What are your magic moments? Yeah, I think one of them for me is just the sequence getting to break bills. Mm. Unlike something like Harry Potter, where everybody gets onto the platform nine and three quarters through this same portal, it shows that there are very different ways to be ushered into this other reality, mm. really, because there it's nighttime and then they enter and it's the sun is coming through the clouds and you know it was like a cold dark new york before and so i think it was just a really cool way to also kind of symbolically show how quentin is viewing this Mm. entrance into the magical world his life prior to has been very (laughs) cold and dark and secluded maybe Mm. uh, as he's walking alone reading his fillery book or this new manuscript or or whatever it is you'll find out (laughs) uh and then he is struggling trying to chase after this thing you know another problem that comes up and then he suddenly enters this bright new world and the one that he's always wanted to exist and it does Mm -hmm. right and how exciting that is and so yeah i just i thought it was a really cool scene yeah the other magic moment for me of course i have to talk about is just elliot's pose (laughs) oh yes oh yes spoiler we love Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> we love Elliot. I remember the first time we watched this show. I had seen it once before, and I was like, Chris, you should watch this. And so we were watching it, and then he has this pose, mm-hmm. right? And then Quentin asks him, am I hallucinating? And he's just like, if you were, how would asking me help? And Chris just turned to me. He's like, I think I found your favorite character. (laughs) I was like, not untrue. (laughs) Sometimes I can be pretty predictable. (laughs) But don't worry. Elliot is not just kind of a caricature of a queer man. They definitely have a lot of layers to him, which is one of the reasons that he is my favorite. Mm -hmm. And the actor himself is queer, and and I think he brings in a lot of his own ideas for the role. Mm. Because there are some corresponding things between Book Elliot and and him, but I think, yeah. He brings some new, different things to the role, I think. Yeah. But seriously, what an entrance. (laughs) And the fact that he's just doing... Like, he's just lounging that way really for himself mm-hmm. i mean maybe it's like okay when the new student arrives they'll see me this way but he's just like enjoying smoking like this. he was smoking right yeah, yeah he was oh elliot with his best <laughs> <laughs> yes we love elliot mm-hmm. but what are we going to our next section which is setting and society so what what are you noticing well, one of the things, this being the first episode, 
is I also find it striking how the episode actually begins before we meet Quentin with magic. Mm. That the show opens with magic. We don't have a show really that starts with the mundane and then moves into the magical. We have a show that starts with the magical from the beginning. So I thought that was a a great bit of world building and, and just laying the setting out mm. that they're not playing here. There's magic and it's being used by these characters. And it's not going to be something that you are only going to be seeing in exceptional circumstances. Yeah, yeah, that is really interesting. Then transitioning from these two magicians to the kind of sterile, Mm -hmm. cold room and plain gray hoodie that Quentin is in, yeah, I think is really, really interesting transition there. Highlights the contrast in his life between, Mm -hmm. between that. I also appreciate how the show, already in the first episode, starts to set up the dangers of magic and ways in which these institutions are not entirely wholesome. Alice tells Quentin that they need to seek real answers while they're there. Mm -hmm. Margot and Elliot explain what happened to the third year class, uh, showing how magic can murder you. It can be dangerous. And so we're already starting to see... Break bills as not entirely trustworthy. We're seeing magic as something that can be exceptionally dangerous. So magic in of itself in this world is already complex and multifaceted as a tool for the characters. Yeah, definitely. One element that I had issue with was when Quentin accepts enrollment at break bills and then Fogg tells him that he shouldn't take his bills because he hasn't been depressed. He's been alone and angry. And Fogg says mm-hmm. everyone medicates, but they hope that he won't need to when he's at break bills. I know. At That's first such I was an like, um, okay. <laughs> irresponsible way of talking about mental health and thinking about mental health mm-hmm. and telling someone who is suffering from depression, who has had suicidal ideation, that he's just been alone and angry and not depressed, I think is a way of trying to invalidate that person's experiences Mm -hmm. um, and the way they perceive those experiences from someone who is not a trained psychiatrist, (laughs) you know, doesn't have expertise in that and who in a way also kind of flippantly argues against people's experiences writ large when he talks about how everyone medicates. I mean, he was quoting Quentin, but did Quentin say that? Yeah. So he told Julia, he's like, life is raw and everybody medicates. So, which is kind of a creepy thing because it kind of shows, how do you know that he said that? How do you know this is his mm, perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've been surveilling him. Yeah. I totally forgot that. That's okay. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, still, I think that it's just a, uh, a really. I mean, it's irresponsible. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. I mean, he said that we hope you won't need Mm -hmm. to, but still, like, any encouragement when you don't have any expertise in this area is not good. Exactly. (laughs) And I think not true. And I don't, maybe they were trying to bring in that from the books that Quentin has this kind of cyclical Mm -hmm. idea that he just needs a new adventure. He needs a new something, and then that will get him out of his depression. But. That's not really how that works, you know, and and I think that the book 
presents Quentin as somebody with dysthymia, and I say that as somebody who has that, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is like a chronic depression. It's not a couple week thing or a couple months or whatnot. Or tied to circumstance. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of perpetual. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were trying to communicate that because that's how Quentin thinks about it. Oh, maybe I won't need this anymore because now I belong. Now I found this thing that I've wished all of my life is real and I'm a part of it. And not just I'm a part of it, but I'm good enough to get in here. You know, yeah. like, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm not totally sure what they were doing with that. But if, if you also had a red flag <laughs> audience, don't worry. We did too. Yeah. And, and the show isn't arguing for that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What are your points on setting in society? Yeah, so uh, that was one that I wanted to talk about. Uh, Also, something that we definitely need to address is sexism and uh, violence against women. Yeah, I had that in my notes too. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you have one one of the first things after we meet Quentin is him at a party and he's just like watching this young woman dancing with incredibly short shorts and it's and just the like frame this just butt shot on the butt. Yeah. yeah which one of the reasons that we wanted to do the show rather than the books is just because first book Quentin is so insufferable for me he was just so frustrating because of his adolescent male gaze that I just like I just ah, like maybe this is how a lot of cis boys who like girls are but it was just so much for him just like I want to get out of this mind I can't do it so this is very much what yeah. book Quentin would be looking at or taking note of but still annoying unnecessary also, as we continue into the show, there will be some sexist language used. Uh, interestingly, though, I don't know what happened, if something changed, but partway through the series, I don't remember which season it's in, but they actually often stop using that type of language, at least from straight male characters. Mm. If anyone uses derogatory sexist language, it's most often women using it. Yeah, I I noticed that when I was watching it the first time. I was like, huh, there hasn't been any, like, annoying I have to roll my eyes (laughs) moment for a while. Mm -hmm. So if that sort of thing also bothers you, that will let up a bit Mm -hmm. uh, in the future. And then obviously we need to talk about Pete. Yeah. Oh, Pete, what are you doing? Besides being horrible and traumatizing. And when she's like, are you some rapist? And he's like, no. Like he's taken aback. Like he's offended. Look at what you just did to her. Like Even if you're not a rapist, you're fine pretending like you could be so that you can scare someone into being able to do magic. It's still sexually assaulting them to disrobe them forcibly. Mm -hmm. Even if it was for a purpose other than that, it's that's still what you're doing. Exactly. You're still not, you're still violating their consent and their Mm -hmm. agency over their own body. 
Yes. So, very frustrating. Poor Julia. That would be terrifying. And for somebody who doesn't have magic, mm-hmm. which people in the real world don't, unless I've been lied to my entire life, <laughs> uh, they don't necessarily get out of those situations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it might be kind of indicating some of the questionable morals that can come into magic and people who practice it, because you don't have to be a moral person to be born with this gift. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And especially in what you'll find on the next episode is called like hedge witch communities. They, They might not have certain laws or certain things that they have to abide by. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it could maybe be previewing a little bit of that. Yeah. But yeah, I think that Julia is so victimized in this episode Mm -hmm. uh, when she also doesn't get into break bills and they just tell her that they're going to remove that memory from her. Mm -hmm. That in of itself is a violation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just her her victimization in the show already and then for this event to happen with Pete. Yeah. I'm not sure if the choice was that it's supposed to be showing different things or different sides of magic or whatever, or if it was just like this sort of spectacle sort of thing that television does far too often. I don't know. I still think that they could have made other choices. Agreed. And should have made other choices, but uh, here we are. Mm -hmm. Since we're on the subject of sexual assault... If you're watching ahead, uh, instead of just going episode by episode, if you're a first-time watcher of it, you can just pay attention to the content warnings that show at the top of the screen at the beginning of an episode. Uh, There will be, at one point, a rape that does occur, and it is stated there. We'll give a disclaimer episode before we get there, but... If you're watching ahead, that's something that you can choose not to watch. It'll be very obvious when Mm -hmm. it's going to be happening, so you can uh, skip that scene. Uh, There, Yeah, there are some also other sorts of violent things every once in a while that will happen, uh, like torture or or things, and so you can pay attention to those and uh, fast-forward, skip, uh, depending on what you are our feeling on any given day. Yeah. Well, why don't we go into, this is not going to be a, a regular section, but as I mentioned before, when we want to talk about some differences between the book and the show, we'll, we'll bring that up. And so we're going to call this little pop-up section Fillery and Further. Yeah, so what's further this week? <laughs> so... Very particular choice that was made, which makes complete sense to me, is that they aged up all of the main characters. Yeah. When it starts, Quentin and Julia are going to be going into undergrad university. Yeah, they're still seniors in high school. Yeah, they're still seniors in high school. And over the course of the first book, they graduate college. So... By the end of the first book, they're closer to the age of where these characters are starting. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. And I also, honestly, I just like the the grad school choice because I feel like that's more uncommon to see a show 
featuring grad school characters versus college or high school, even mm-hmm. when they cast grad students <laughs> to play high schoolers, and you're like, this isn't believable. So, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting choice, but definitely a, a difference. Yeah, agreed. It's uh, something that also allows them to... Yeah, have actors who are more believably their own age. Mm -hmm. And the cast they have is so great at these characters that they tried to make them younger and had to cast a whole different group. I'm sure it would have been weaker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, the other thing, uh, a big difference is the Chatwin family. Mm. These are the kids that go to Fillory. In the books, it's five siblings It also makes sense with something when you're not really spending much time with these characters to have five of them would just be very convoluted. Even within the books, I'm like, I don't know the difference between some of them. I don't even remember all their names. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, so, uh, yeah, I think that was a very sensible change to make. Agreed, yeah. And these are also characters who they age up, where they are... 12 and under, all five of them in the Magician's books, mm-hmm. they here are starting their adventures in Fillory as teenagers, uh, and some of yeah. them even as people who have served in the war. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just different takes on those characters in ways that I think are are largely effective. As we even already see here with the young Jane Chatwin talking to Quentin in his dreams, I think doing a, a good job that a young seven-year-old girl or what have you would i think she was like five yeah exactly it just it wouldn't uh it wouldn't work the same way Mm -hmm. now let's talk about themes and schemes what do you have yeah actually i have one theme that is certainly kind of being foregrounded here that connects to what we discussed about the chatwin children because we see this idea of having to give up one's childhood, Mm -hmm. having to move into adulthood and take on the seriousness that that brings with it. And we see, for example, how Rupert Chatwin was wounded in the war. And Quentin, I think, also feels wounded. He feels Mm. hurt by society and by his role in society. and, And he doesn't feel healthy, certainly. And so both of them are young and we see Rupert enter Fillory as a way of maintaining his childhood in a magical land and an imaginative land. And Quentin is also struggling with giving up his childhood. He still loves these books about childhood. He now sees Breakbills as a place where he can have his own imaginative magical adventure. And I think the show is already starting to lay the groundwork for an exploration of the theme of what it means to be a child versus an adult and how to, as an adult, navigate things when you still wish for some of the things that you think childhood maintains, even though childhood itself doesn't always have that kind of magical joy that Mm -hmm. it's seen It is magical in a way that it is unreal. It is perceived. And so, yeah, I think that that theme itself connects to the idea of being a story about magic Mm -hmm. in ways that are really fascinating. And I'm definitely going to keep my eye on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really like that 
Quentin said what life is and what it could be eventually you have to let all that go I I find really interesting from kind of like a quarter life crisis mm. point of view because about a year after I graduated from university I definitely <laughs> one of my friends and I we would have a call every couple weeks or so and like we were both very much struggling with that of when we were in college we together we uh, had all of these hopes and dreams mm. and all of these ways that we wanted to try to help society be better and then it was much harder than not not that we thought it would be easy but it was we just got quite disillusioned i mm. think even as I was working for a nonprofit in anti-sex trafficking, and this is something that I became very passionate about while I was studying in undergrad, and is just difficult, you know. It's uh, nonprofits. Some nonprofits can do great work and treat their workers well and stuff, and other times, apparently, <laughs> yeah, we've heard, <laughs> and other times it can be more like asking way too much of you yeah. and you're working so much to try to help other people and that is the mission of the organization but it can be sometimes at the expense of of the employees yeah that just too much is demanded of them and so yeah we were both kind of struggling and so i i really feel that here this disillusionment of these things that you hoped could be i mean in his case it's more like magic and mm -hmm. less like i want to help the world be a tiny bit less broken but yeah i think that that can be something that people often struggle with once you get into the capitalist workforce mm. then things are can be grim, can be monotonous, can feel pointless, can not do things in the best ways, but because of this is just how we've been doing them, they mm -hmm. don't change. And, you know, there, there just can be a lot. And yeah, it's very easy to get dis disillusioned. So uh, I think that that is an interesting theme to track. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What themes came to mind for you? Another one that I just like, the the warning that Jane Chatwin gives Quentin, don't stay on the garden path, mm -hmm. stay on it and it will kill you. I just, I don't know, I, I like that idea. I mean, obviously she's talking about very specific things, but just in a, in a wider context of if you just do things the way that the world has set up for you to do them, yeah, it might destroy you mm -hmm. uh, or destroy all of us. Just like the middle class aspirations of Americans have <laughs> led to ecological destruction and yeah, modern day slavery mm -hmm. and all these other ways that the world is worsened Terrible. by capitalism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that that's something that I want to keep in mind to see how they explore because I wasn't really thinking about it when I watched the show before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's something I want to track. And also, another great <laughs> line by Margot is, it's good to be aware the world is inherently unfair. Act accordingly. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that we see that, especially with Julia. Yeah. And how Quentin didn't act accordingly, right? This is unfair to Julia. She's not even given another chance. She kept her memory, so it's painful in a different way, you know? And he doesn't act compassionately or supportively really in any way Mm -hmm. so yeah i think as we will see as the show continues there there are a lot of unfair things that happen and that that is a reflection of the world so yeah yeah but enough of these dismal thoughts even though i enjoy them (laughs) (laughs) when we go well i mean who knows maybe maybe there'll be more dismal thoughts here (laughs) in our last section which is from another point of view so whose point of view are you thinking about i'm thinking about penny's perspective yes i pretty much knew you would even if you couldn't tell from episode one because Penny does not seem like a Chris type of character. Chris is very much a Chris. I mean, Penny is very much a Chris type of boy. Yes. Chris is really not a Chris type of boy. <laughs> <laughs> but Penny is. Yeah, so so Penny is great, as, as you'll see. And so I was exploring him in this episode. Even though we don't get much about his character, I think they are putting some things out there that I find compelling and interesting. Penny is fairly standoffish. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you could say that. (laughs) (laughs) He really only gets along with Katie. A lot of that is because they both seem to not get along with other people. (laughs) Um, And are also fine to be blunt and abrasive in their conversations with others. And they think each other's cute. Oh, I mean that too. Absolutely, yeah. And then we find in the episode that Penny has psychic powers as well Mm -hmm. that are still not entirely defined, but we know that he, for example, hates the word psychic, that he doesn't want to be labeled as such. And I find that really interesting for someone to resist a word that brings along its own preconceived notions Mm -hmm. and ideas But he's also probably new to this world of magic, at least in some aspect, because we see, for example, the psychic group on campus who seems to be fine with that label. Mm -hmm. And so it makes me wonder, okay, is Penny used to people outside of a world in which being psychic is an acceptable thing or a more everyday occurrence? And instead is used to people who see it as scary or frightening or freakish. Either way, I think that for Penny, his powers and his ability to hear people's thoughts and possibly other voices is ostracizing in a way. It's something that divides him from other people. I mean, yeah, that would make me standoffish. Look at my experience reading through Quentin's point of view exactly. in the book. I'm like, I don't want to know that. I'm just not going to like you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and have not having a lot of control over it would be awful in just mm-hmm. hearing what people are thinking all the time and having that really be your first impression of people mm-hmm. makes it hard to maybe want to have a deeper impression of those people as well. 
Definitely. And I, I wonder for Penny if why he doesn't like the term because it comes with the idea of psychics in our society that people see them as scammers mm. and manipulative and, you know, preying off of people. So that could obviously be a negative connotation. But also... There could be the novelty of it. Like, oh, what am I thinking right now? It's like, it's not a toy for you, you exactly. know? And then also if you find out somebody is psychic and you're from the magical world, would that make you put up barriers between you and them as well? Uh, would you feel judged by them even if, you know, you set up good mental wards so they're not reading your thoughts if you're not sure, you know? Like, maybe that would uh, also contribute to trust issues absolutely i can barely stand myself up here (laughs) someone else you know (laughs) that would make me highly anxious (laughs) more neurotic than you already are exactly but the other thing that i find fascinating is how penny hears something and follows it in order to help quentin and alice with the spell how he in a way seems to feel some sense of responsibility with this power as well, or at least to act on that. And you know me, I love Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility, absolutely. And so, yeah, I I think that that is something that I find interesting as well, and and I'm looking forward to explore in this watch through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I also really like that it's a man who has the psychic Mm. powers, because I feel like... Not always, but oftentimes you see it with characters who are women and it's like, oh, and they're more empathetic and they're more this, you know, uh, which is having some sort of gender essentialism, right? And so, yeah, I think it's it's great. And Penny is a very compelling character, as as you'll see as we continue. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, I I enjoyed that from when I first watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, he's the psychic. Mm -hmm. What about you? What perspective were you thinking about? So I was really thinking about Julia. Mm. Just because over the course of this one episode, she already goes through so much. Yeah, She, unlike Quentin, it seems like has been able to cope mm-hmm. quite well and also help take care of him mm-hmm. and be a support for him. And worry about him and try to encourage him to try new things and maybe try to do things that could be helpful Mm -hmm. or healthier for him. And what Quentin hasn't been able to do is kind of give up these, the wishful thinking of magic and fillery and these things that she has done Mm -hmm. and gone on with her life and gotten into Yale for grad school and, you know, different things. And and then she finds out this world is real. Mm-hmm. And when they both see each other at the exam, they're so excited to see each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then so quickly, she's barred from this world. And even... In the exam, she raises her hand to ask a question, and she's not allowed to ask a question. Then failing something when you had a question about it must be even more frustrating. Yeah. 
and this idea that you either have enough magic or you don't. Even if you have a little, it's not enough and you're not worthy of being here. Mm -hmm. You're not worthy to invest in to help you grow it. Yeah. Must just be so hurtful, so disappointing, so depressing. And she says, they cut me off from my life. Mm -hmm. She only knew it existed for such a small stint of time. Yet, once you know it exists, how do you go back to your regular life? And she's not able to. Mm -hmm. And so from the beginning of the episode, Julia, to the end of the episode, Julia, she's changed Mm -hmm. significantly and you can see that she's she's so tired she's out of it she's not sleeping she has added to the initial cut she made on her arm so that she wouldn't forget she's added which to me i don't know kind of i was thinking maybe it has to do with cutting in in ways that it more typically operates in our society but also i'm not sure it could also be the idea that she keeps questioning her own memory and so she'll keep adding to it because she might think wait maybe i could have gotten that some other way maybe this isn't actually real as she's combing the internet to try to find spells to try and nothing works and so for her to self-harm just so she can maintain her own trust in her memory is really sad and then she's assaulted on her birthday Mm -hmm. (laughs) and her friend that she hasn't seen in a really long time doesn't say he's gonna help her and she's surrounded by all these people she doesn't even she doesn't seem like she wants to be there yeah it's like oh it's your birthday let's plan a party for you you know and So even when this terrible, frightening, traumatizing thing happens to her, then she is like, wait, you know magic? You can teach me magic? I'll go with you to find that. She's willing to risk that. Yeah. Because, yeah, for her, she feels like magic is her life. Mm -hmm. Even though she is separated from it currently. Yeah. And I think that we also see a stark difference in the type of friends she and Quentin are. Mm-hmm. Where Quentin is perhaps believing that he's being supportive in a way, but he's also minimizing her feelings and her struggle mm-hmm. as she's dealing with this and basically just telling her, learn to live with it, move yeah. on, and not trying to understand what she's going through, where we see Julie at the beginning of the episode, like you were saying, being someone who is a very supportive friend, reaching out to Quentin over the weekend, going along with him to his interview, and knowing that, I think not just that he is still stuck on these kind of childhood fantasies of this fiction, I can understand some of her frustrations with Quentin, but I appreciate that even through those frustrations, she still works to be as supportive a friend as possible to him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really do the same to her. Yeah. Yeah. 
it is <laughs> the kind of thing that sometimes communicates these long friendships like if you've known each other since you were really young mm-hmm. and it's the same thing that can happen with siblings i think sometimes where you sometimes like speak from your own frustrations mm. so for him he's like pick something else you're good at everything else mm-hmm. You can do anything. This is the only one thing you just found out you can't do. And to me, they kind of like the edge in his voice kind of communicated that this is something that's bothered him before, that she is good at so many things. She has so many different opportunities or options in life, and he doesn't feel like he does. He feels like I don't have any direction or anything, and so I just have to pick one thing that maybe I can do fine enough, you know? So I think some of it is coming from that place of that frustration, but like, yeah, that's not a being a good friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you were saying, you have to put your own self and your feelings aside. It's not just that she can pick something else. It's that she's grieving this thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I absolutely can empathize with Quentin there because at my worst, I've certainly had similar thoughts where I've been frustrated because I saw friends being more popular or more well-liked and not holding it against them logically, but still feeling a kind of, yeah, pang of, well, I don't have that Mm. and being frustrated with that, particularly if you feel left out or, or isolated or lonely yeah, I I totally get why Quentin would feel that. Um, but as you said, doesn't <laughs> allow him to then be a bad friend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think the same goes for Julia sometimes too. That she's like, yeah, go try something new or do this. But like that isn't necessarily the answer to his depression. Mm-hmm. True. And just because she can doesn't mean he can. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think it can go both ways, but definitely in the aftermath of break bills and the place that Julie is at, Quentin is not being a good friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll we'll get to see a little bit more of that in the coming episodes. <laughs> so before we close out this episode, what do you think of the title of episode one, Unauthorized Magic? I don't think it's a very good title. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it really highlights anything of importance in this episode. I don't know that it even makes any sense. Who's doing unauthorized magic? I think it's their spell that they do. But they don't really give any indication that there are certain parameters for magic, what they can and can't do. Obviously, they stole the Stonian Dictionary, but that's about it. And they had to go to Fogg's office. and mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's some things that they're breaking the rules and stuff. But I think that they probably should have named the first episode something more introductory. Mm-hmm. Because we're learning about the world here. Introduction like, to magic. We, or... we don't even know what authorized magic is yet. Yeah. <laughs> and we're already being introduced, apparently, to unauthorized magic. <laughs> like, yeah, I, th- I think that they could do a, a better job there. Yeah, yeah. I I might have chosen something a little more dark humor, like, hope you read the fine print, Mm. or something that, like, Elliot says, (laughs) because magic can kill you. Yeah, yeah. 
what we saw at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> Welcome to Break Bills. Yeah. Hope you survive the experience. Mm-hmm. That's an X-Men joke. This makes sense. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. So what's happening next time on The Magicians? So we're going to be watching episode two, The Source of Magic. Well, thank- Ma- Maybe it'll be about that. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And if you want to join us on Patreon, we'd love to have you as a supporter of the podcast. Regardless of how much you pledge each month, you'll get access to all of the special content that we've done for past seasons and that we'll be doing for this watch-through. Yeah, we're trying to be socialists like that. (laughs) Also, we are currently taking a poll for what perks our patrons want. So if you aren't currently, but you're thinking about it, now is the time to join and give your input. We're going to keep the poll up for about another week or so. And then we're going to solidify what perks will be in place during our watch through of the magicians. Mm-hmm. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Till then, geek out!